It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, back to your huddle. On Giants.com. Tempo, tempo, tempo. And the Giants mobile app. Go, 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 Part go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Yeah. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. It's our game preview. The Giants taking on the New Orleans Saints down in the Superdome. As usual, Bob Papa will join us later in the show to talk to Giants head coach Joe Judge. I'll talk to Giants now starting middle linebacker Tay Cratter, who's stepping in for Blake Martinez. And Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino will talk to Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN. First, a reminder, the Giants Little Podcast can be found on your favorite podcast platforms at Giants.com slash podcast and on the Giants mobile app. Find the subscribe and make sure you check us out moving forward. All right, let's get started with Tate Crowder, who is the Giants middle linebacker now. He'll likely be wearing the green dot on the helmet, depending on formation and personnel. I had a chance to talk to him about replacing Blake Martinez and playing the Saints this week. Tay, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. All right, well, let's talk about it. Unfortunately, you had to watch your teammate Blake Martinez go down with injury last week. What was that like for you and your group kind of emotionally watching that and then having to just kind of zip right in and, and get to the next play? Man, it was very hard at first, you know, uh, just seeing your captain of the defense go down. Uh, he's a great player, comes to work week in and week out, and uh, just to see him go down like that, it hurt. But we knew it was like next man up mentality, so we had to, you know, do what we had to do and uh, lead the defense. What are the mechanics like then? Do you have to go find your other helmet? How does that just, how does it work from your perspective? Yeah, so we always, you know, practice having another helmet and making the adjustment. And we just did that, switched helmets, and it just happens like that. So you have two fitted helmets just for yourself on the sideline, one with the dot, one without, and then you just kind of just swap the other one on? Yep, just uh, get the other helmet with the dot on it and just go with, with the flow. Now, obviously, you did some of that in the preseason training camp with the dot. What was that like in a in-game, regular season situation, having to do that with everything going full speed? It was different, you know, just <laughs> having to be the man, uh, the next man up, and, um, you know, real game situation. It was uh, it was hard at first, but it was something you definitely got to get used to. And, um, you know, it's just all about being a leader. What's the difference? What's the challenges of it in a game as opposed to what you're doing on the practice field? Uh, you just got to be laser-focused, you know, you got to – Make sure the right people on the field. Uh, make sure y'all in the right call, and make sure everyone hears the right call. So, it's a it's a uh, definitely a, a job, but it's, you can definitely get it done. Now you have the dot, but I know you're kind of in charge of the front seven, right, or six depending on the play. And Logan runs a lot of the alignment in the back. So, how do you guys work together once the play call comes in to make sure that everyone's in sync? I'm a guy like I like to talk about the play before the play happens. So. I try to anticipate a lot of stuff and uh, communicate with Lo on uh, what I'm thinking on some certain stuff mm-hmm. and by formation and stuff like that. A lot of the back end handles the uh, formation and stuff like that. So we just try to communicate before the play happens, and that, I think that helps us a lot. I saw Blake here the other day. That guy lives and breathes football. I'm sure he's going to be around. Has he been in the meeting room with you this week? How has he tried to help you to get ready for this game this week? Yeah, uh, he pops in and out. You know, uh, he's mostly doing rehab and stuff like that. But, sure. you know, he, he tries to help out on small things like with, with alignment and uh, just knowing, try to anticipate the play before the play happens. So now you're going to head in here. You're going to New Orleans. How valuable was it to get that experience at home before you head into a hostile environment? I know – their crowd's supposed to be quiet for the offense, but it's still the Superdome's loud, right? So, how was that now? How did this week help you getting that three quarters of football to be prepared to do this in a road environment now? Um, 
I feel like we come to practice every day and uh, work different situations. And, um, you know, we work crowd noise and stuff like that. So it won't be anything new to us. Just something we got to deal with and uh, go with. Now you're an SEC guy. Have you played in the Superdome? Yeah, I have. <laughs> what games? Um, <clears throat> played against Texas 2018. That's That's random. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bowl game. Oh, okay. Um, it was another game, too. I can't, I can't really remember at the moment. But I played there twice. Oh, I played uh, Bo uh, Baylor. We played against Baylor there, too. Two Texas teams in Louisiana. Yeah. Who knew? Interesting. <laughs> um, so what is it about the building that, that kind of makes it fun and, and, and special? <clears throat> It's the Superdome, you know. It's, <laughs> I don't know, it's just that, that football feeling, you know, being in the stadium. You know you're going to get a good crowd. Being in New Orleans, uh, what can I see? All right, let's talk about you before we get to the Saints. Came a long way. Last pick in the draft last year. Now you're coming in, you're going to be, perhaps, we'll see what happens, a starting middle linebacker for the New York football Giants. Where do you think you've made the most improvements as a player from when you stepped into this building last year after you were drafted to where you are today? I would say just uh, <clears throat> my focus, you know, um, just try to know as much as I can, you know, not only my job, but what other people doing around me. So I feel like just being focused, knowing what I have to do, knowing what they do and stuff like that, just, it just helped me. It, it, it's helped, it helped my uh, game a lot. What do you have to do in order to do that in the context of playing in a Patrick Graham defense where everything can change so much from week to week where you have your basic fundamentals, right? But the game plan can switch based on opponent. Like I said, like I keep hitting on, just being focused. Uh, you just got to stay dialed in, trust the coaches, trust what we talk about during the week and um, execute it. Now you're talking about being focused on game day, right? What's your process during the week to make sure that everything is filed away properly, right? So if you have that focus on game day, you at least have the underlying knowledge so you can make those right calls depending on formation, situation, et cetera, et cetera. Man, it starts in practice. Uh, the coaches do a great job of uh, pushing us and just keep dialing in on how, how important it is to practice and do it in practice the first time. So in game reality, is not as bad as it, as it seems to be. Very good. All right, let's talk about your opponent this week, the Saints. When you watch their offense on tape, how are they trying to attack defenses every week? I like to do different things, uh, throw out different formations. Uh, they like to move a lot, um, try to cause a lot of confusion. But uh, other than that, you know, they're a great offense. Uh, got a lot of good players and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> we just got to focus on us and do what we do, and we'll be good. How do they try to attack in the run game? They're one of the heaviest run teams in the league, especially on early downs. So you don't think about that with the Saints. You think Dubris, spread them out, throw them all over the place, right? But this team wants to run the football. What do you guys need to do to slow that down? Uh, like I said, just do what we do. You know, come to play and uh, execute the scheme that we have in this week. Now, you can scheme it up all you want. Alvin Kamara is a special player, right? You can do a lot of different things. <laughs> no doubt. So without giving up the game plan, obviously, that's not going to be – a one-person job, right? That's going to be a team effort? No doubt, a team effort every game. So is that a deal where you have to identify him where he is pre-snappy? Is they going to put him all over the place? Obviously, we want to you know, know where he is uh, during the play or whatever. But um, like I said, it's 11 people that we yeah. got to worry about. So that's who, we, that's who we focus on. And you talk about movement, right? He's one of the guys that they will move pre-snap. So... How do you guys stay disciplined so that movement doesn't take you out of what you're trying to do? This is what we've been doing this week in practice. Uh, getting different movements, different formations, different shifts, just so we won't be surprised when it does happen. Um, 
we we know it's gonna happen, so we're we'll we definitely will anticipate it and we'll we'll be fine. What does your group have to do a little bit of better job of of getting off the field in some of those two minute situations at the end of halves and at the end of games? Yeah, I think that's just all about finishing. Uh, we just got to work on finishing. We did that this week, and um, we know our weaknesses, so that's we've been attacking that, and we, that's what we're gonna try to uh, see it in. How about a final question? How about producing some more big plays, right? A couple more sacks, maybe an interception. You guys, I think, were top 10 in interceptions last year in the league. You haven't gotten quite as many of those this season. So what do you guys need to do, and you personally even, to try to create some more of those big negative plays, which, as you guys know, that's the best way to short-circuit some of these drives, especially in two-minute. Uh, just keep playing how we play. And uh, when the play comes to us, we got to make the play, obviously. So uh, once the play has come up, just uh, make the play, and um, we'll be good. Tay, best of luck, man. We appreciate it. Appreciate that. Thank you all for having me. That's Giants middle linebacker Tay Cratter. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season might be underway, but there's still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants in MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. All right, let's go on to Mike Triplett. He covers the Saints for ESPN. He had a chance to talk to Paul Dottino and Lance Meadow. The Giants begin a two-game road trip on Sunday as they visit the Saints at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. The Saints' first official home game of the season due to Hurricane Ida. And to get more into what to expect from the Giants' opponent this week, we are now joined by Mike Triplett, ESPN NFL Nation reporter for the Saints. Mike, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I've been home a little little more often in the last month than the Saints, but uh, share their sentiment that it's it's good to be home and have a normal full week schedule and an actual game in the Superdome. Absolutely. Well, let's start there because as you just alluded to, this is going to be their first time home, really their first time sleeping in their own beds in quite some time. What are you expecting energy-wise at Sunday's game and how much of an impact do you think true home field advantage will hold for the Saints this weekend? Yeah, energy should be through the roof. I mean, some great stories this week about when they were walking into the locker room after their win over New England, they'd already started the chant, we're going home, we're going home. And when the flight attendant announced, welcome back to New Orleans on the plane, the entire plane erupted. You know, the players have talked about how good it is to sleep in their own beds, spend time with their families, just go back to their favorite coffee shops. And a lot of talk about the Superdome itself and how uh, special that is. Not only that they haven't played a game in the Superdome yet this year, but they haven't played a game in front of a full capacity crowd in the Superdome since 2019. And, you know, everyone generally agrees it's one of the loudest places to play in the league. It's a big advantage, obviously, for the defense, nice and quiet for the offense. So for all those reasons, it should be as much of a home field advantage as you would hope for. And Sean Payton has already been like, don't do expect just to show up and win the game. There's still keys to victory we can't forget to. <laughs> It's interesting you talk about that home field advantage. We all know it's been a house of horrors. I call it the super doom as far as the Giants are concerned. (laughs) And to be frank with you, you know, I think schematically that crowd is going to have an impact on this game. I mean, Joe Judge talks about when, you know, they came back from Katrina to fill the Superdome. The Giants have an, an experienced offensive line that's been changing out pieces almost on a weekly basis. And I have to think that the Saints blitz packages and some of the things that they're going to give them with pre-snap looks, either beating the Giants' offensive line or forcing them to to jump early and draw penalties, is going to be a big part of this game. Well, that's certainly the hope. 
you know, I, I mean, that's the hope in any game that, you know, you can take advantage of that. But certainly that's going to be a big part of the game plan. I'm sure Dennis Allen, as the Saints defensive coordinator, has been doing a really sort of one of the most under-the-radar phenomenal jobs in the league actually since week four of last season. So a full calendar season, the Saints are the number one defense in the NFL and points allowed, number two in yards allowed. And it's something they've really taken to heart this year with Drew Brees retired. This defense was to be the identity of this team. So they hope that the game plays out that way. But, you know, it doesn't always work that way. The Saints just won a game at New England. They, they won a game with a lot of Packers fans in Jacksonville earlier this year. And the Giants famously did score 49 points in the Superdome a few years ago when the Saints <laughs> beat them 50, 52 to 49. I'll never forget that game. <laughs> yes, the Kai Forbath game-winning 50-yard field goal, Mike. Yes, we know that very well when Eli Manning and Drew Brees combined for 13 touchdowns. It's one of those notable games that you tend not to forget, given all the time that has passed by. But on a more serious note, you brought up how well the defense has played under Dennis Allen. Well, let's at least look at the three games thus far. The two numbers that jump out to me, third in points per game allowed. They're only giving up 14 a game. And then maybe the more impressive number, Mike, is turnover differential. They're tied for first. They've been extremely opportunistic. How much has the defensive plays that have really changed field position wound up helping the offense and shortening the field on the opposite side of the ball. Well, it was especially huge in this last game, you know, in the, in the first game where they beat Green Bay 38-3. to It might end up being the stunner of the season when all is said and done. Now that Green Bay's back on track, but, you know, they were kind of piling on in that game when the turnovers started to come, but it was really important this last week in New England because that game was pretty close until the defense started really putting it to bed. It, it was the first, I can't remember if it was the first or second play coming out of halftime where Malcolm Jenkins returned an interception for a touchdown, and that really changed the tone of the game completely, and that's what they are. I mean, they're an aggressive, opportunistic defense secondary in particular that's looking to get its hands on on balls. Marshawn Lattimore, their number one cornerback, has been really good for a while, but he's played probably as well as he ever has. Same with linebacker uh, Demario Davis. There's just a lot of talent in each level of this defense that causes problems. You know what makes that scary to me? They're doing this at a high level, and Cam Jordan hasn't had a sack yet. He's got a bunch of quarterback hits, but he hasn't had a sack yet. And to me, that would worry me if I were an offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's overdue. You know, the Giants will be fortunate that they're still missing. I mean, long term, you know, their other defensive end, Marcus Davenport, is really talented, and he's going to miss at least one more week on injured reserve, so he won't be part of this game. Their standout defensive tackle, David Onyemata, is suspended right now. He's missing the first six games of the season, so it really is impressive that they're doing this not at full strength yet. Well, speaking of that, I mean, you just named two impactful players. What do you attribute then to what Dennis Allen has been able to do, or just the reflection of the overall depth chart, Mike, that they've been able to overcome some of these injuries and suspensions that have piled up early in the season. Yeah, we thought, I thought that the defense was probably in line to take a step back this year. They also had to replace their number two cornerback, Janoris Jenkins, who they let go in free agency. They they lost their top three defensive tackles from last season. And, I mean, this is sort of evidence of the players saying, look, it's a culture, it's a system, and, and they can move some parts in. I mean, it really starts with the fact that they just had so much talent to begin with. I mentioned Marshawn Lattimore, DeMario Davis. You guys mentioned Cameron Jordan. But, you know, maybe 
the most depth at safety in the league. Marcus Williams is an excellent free safety. Malcolm Jenkins and C.J. Gardner-Johnson is the other two safeties. You know, it's it's a combination of a really great coaching staff and, and still a lot of talent on this team. I'm seeing on offense more reliance on Kamara on the ground as opposed to in the passing game. And quite honestly, it also looks like they're really restricting a lot of what they're asking Winston to do because they know that when they do that, he's a turnover machine. Well, I think that's all true. You know, Winston, they'd love in a dream scenario to have the combination of restricting the chances he's taking so he's not getting a lot of turnovers that could be avoided, but still letting him take those shots down the field, which were not obviously a big part of the offense in Drew Brees' later years. Already in week one, Winston threw the 55-yard touchdown pass to Deontay Harris, so they don't want him to shy away from taking those shots when he has them. They just don't want the unnecessary risks, and so far, it's been a pretty good combination. I think we're all surprised, though, that Winston is only throwing like 20 pass attempts a game, is only throwing for, you know, barely over 100 yards a game. I don't expect that to continue all year long. I think some of that is the the game scripts they've been involved in. Two of the games, they've been up big and they've been trying to run out the clock. The other game, they were just getting decimated by Carolina's defense and and couldn't get a pass off. So it's been three kind of unusual games so far. But you're right about Alvin Kamara. I think they'd love to have him more heavily involved in the passing game. It's something he's always done. But that's something Drew Brees is really good at. It's not a big part of James Winston's history. So he's still learning to embrace those check down throws to the running back. In the meantime, they're getting the ball in Kamara's hands as a running back because they know he is by far and away the most special player on their offense. We're talking with Mike Triplett, who covers the Saints for ESPN. I think that's a great point, Mike, about game flow and how that has impacted Jameis Winston's numbers because it's unusual to see a Saints offense rank 31st in the NFL in passing yards per game, given what Drew Brees and company have been able to accomplish. But as far as the risk-reward type of management that they're walking with Jameis Winston, I want to go back to the play in the last game against New England where he's being brought down right and he throws up a prayer and Marquez Callaway goes up to make the touchdown. What was Sean Payton's reaction to that play? And how much is that maybe an example, Mike, that Jameis is still having a tough time digesting what they're asking him to do? Well, that one was obviously a big topic of discussion. If people haven't seen this play, I, I recommend they check it out. I mean, Jameis Winston has, is famously known for risk-reward, but this might be about as much of a risk-reward <laughs> throw as he's ever made. He is literally halfway down to the ground with somebody sacking him when he decides, you know what, I still think I'm going to throw this ball anyway. And he credited God's plan for, uh, <laughs> for letting Marquez Calloway c- come down with that. You know, when we dissected it further, you know, Winston insisted that he was confident he was either throwing it away or putting it only in the back of the end zone where his receiver could go get it. I don't know if that's 100% true, and Sean Payton made it clear that those are not the, the kind of chances we want you taking unless you're absolutely sure that's what you're doing, that only your receiver can get the ball. But, you know, I, it's a rare case of where this one worked out, but they don't want, they, they made it clear they don't want to see too much YOLO uh, in his game. <laughs> you know, Mike, uh, just a little while earlier, Lance referred to the Breeze-Manning game that was like a pinball machine. Uh, The points were just coming out of the woodwork. That game was decided by a special teams penalty, which allowed Forbath to kick the field goal to beat the Giants. How likely is special teams to have an impact on this one? Yeah, look, I I always expect most games to be one-score games in the NFL. It's strange that the Saints haven't been that way so far this season, because that's usually the nature of the NFL. And and that has been a key to the success. I mean, the Saints do have the best record in the NFL in the regular 
first season over the last five years. And part of it is because they've invested heavily in special teams. They blocked a punt just this last week at New England, which helped them survive the fact that their kicker right now is Aldrich Rosas, who obviously you guys are familiar with. And he's a temporary fill-in for their kicker, Will Lutz, who's on injured reserve right now. And he missed two field goals at New England, and he's still with the team this week, which I didn't know was going to be the case, to be honest with you, after those two misses. So that's going to be important that he shows in this game that 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 was a one-week blip and that they can trust him to make field goals because I think all that stuff is going to matter. Certainly the way the Giants games have been played out, they haven't been one-score games. They've been one play at the end of the game games. And they've come down to kicking, so I think that's well-documented. There's no doubt about that. Speaking of injuries and players filling in, I think, Mike, one of the most overlooked storylines with the Saints, given the fact that the offensive line has been such a staple to this offense, is how they've had to sort of play the game of musical chairs in the early stages of the season. So from what I understand now, left tackle Teron Armstead's out with the elbow injury. They've already had to fill in for center Eric McCoy with the calf injury. How has this offensive line held up and how concerning is it now that they have multiple starters? And we're not just talking about starters, we're talking about Pro Bowl, All-Pro type of players here. You're exactly right. Teron Armstead might be the best player on the team, or he's certainly in the top three, top four. And so he will be missed now. They have a veteran backup at James Hurst, who has done a really good job whenever called upon, including last week. They've been a little touch and go without Eric McCoy at center. It's not completely out of the question that he comes back this week, but seems a little unlikely. And, you know, that was a big part of their struggles in Carolina, was when they moved Cesar Ruiz over to center. They had some protection call issues, because that is something he hadn't worked on a lot. And so, as well as they've done in two of their wins with their backup offensive lineman filling in, it definitely, you know, is a key to the game each time until they're back to full strength. Absolutely, especially since the Giants are still trying to ignite their pass rush. He is ESPN NFL Nation reporter for the Saints, Mike Triplett. Mike, can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and enjoy Sunday's game. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. That's Mike Triplett from ESPN. Don't forget to take in all the action in New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giants Suites are a great way to entertain your family and friends while rooting on your Giants right here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giants Suite rep now by calling 888-NYG-1925. All right, let's wrap it up with the head coach of the New York Giants, Joe Judge. Bob Papa had a chance to talk to him. As always, we're joined by the head coach of the New York Giants, Joe Judge. Giants down in New Orleans take on the Saints. And, Coach, when you take a look at this team, you know, everybody thinks of the Saints, think of Sean Payton's offense, and you kind of think Drew Brees. Their defensive numbers jump off the board at you. Um, They've played great defense this year. What have been some of the keys to them defensively? Well, I think they have really good personnel first off. They have talent on all three levels, the front, the back, the secondary. I think what they do is they get on you and they get after you. They're very aggressive with the pass rush, whether it's the four-man front where they play their odd structure. You know, where they get the DBs on you, man, they play a tight match zone. There's enough that they do to make you have to prepare for it, and for them it's a lot more of the same. So they play what they play. They know how to cover and know how to match it. They stop the run very aggressively. They have a penetrating defensive front. They really do a nice job up front. That really kind of sets the tone for everything else. To me, the experience on the back end, especially with those safeties, really carries over in how they play. They don't give up a lot of big plays. You really got to be ready to grind it out against this team. You know, there's been several examples of teams playing this team and really making mistakes and giving it away. And there's been other examples of teams grinding it out and doing the right way, you know, coming through the right way by how they play the game. You know, last week, Malcolm Jenkins gets a pick six. Um, but it kind of circles back to your team being able to make plays. I mean, the ball was pretty much handed to him. John O. Smith batted it up, but those are the kind of 50-50 plays during the course of a game that you just have to make in order to win or lose in this league. 
yeah, you know what? When the play comes your way, you got to be prepared to make it. And that's what our guys practice for, and obviously that's what they practice for as well. You know, it was a good job last week of Jenkins being prepared for, and, you know, Smith mishandled that ball, and he took advantage of it. You know, and that's not something he had to fabricate. He was in coverage. He was trailing the receiver right there. And when the ball bounced his way, he took advantage of it. You know, we preach our players all the time, stay aggressive with our techniques, make aggressive breaks. And, look, there's going to be some pass breakups and interceptions. When the ball comes our way, we got to make the play. When you look at their offense, obviously um... – you know, I, I didn't realize it stat-wise, but they're averaging more rushing yards a game than they are passing. 120 in rushing a game, 113 passing the ball. Kamara is such a huge factor in everything that they do. What makes him so good? Well, I'd say first off, just as a team in general, really when you go back, everyone thinks about passing because of Breeze and Peyton, the connection they've had there. But when you really look at this offense over Sean's tenure, it's a running offense. And that doesn't mean they're exclusively run, but they're very balanced. And they use the run to set the passing game. They're very controlled in how they do it, very calculated. They do a good job. Now you throw a guy like Kamara in there, this guy's one of the best players in the league. And you can talk about the physical attributes, his contact balance, his speed. He's a lot stronger, I think, sometimes than people assume because he plays so much in space. You can associate that with more of a finesse player. He's absolutely not that at all. He's very tough. He runs with power. He's got great vision. This guy's so multiple in how they use him. First off, they line up all over the field. He's the second most motion player in the last few years in the National Football League, and they do that a lot of times to make you guess and find him. Other times they do it to create matchups and expose you down the field. So this guy's got the ability to line up in the backfield and run the ball downhill. He's got the ability to be an emotion guy and get the edge on you. He's got the ability to line up as a slot receiver and run those little choice routes underneath, and he can go ahead and line up outside with the speed and take the top off versus a mismatch. So they move him all around. You've got to know where he is at all times. Uh, He's obviously the catalyst for their offense, but they have a lot of talent around them. The other weapons show up in time, but you've got to handle 41 and have success against this team. All right, you guys have moved the ball uh, pretty consistently throughout the course of the season. It's finishing. Now, their red zone defense is second in the NFL at 33%. What are some of the things that you guys have to do better once you get into that red zone area in order to turn some of these trips into touchdowns? It's all about execution, and we have to eliminate things that take us away from the opportunity to have success. And we can't get down the red zone and have any kind of turnover or negative play. We've got to keep the sticks moving forward. You've got to make sure you can score seven. Anytime you have a penalty on a drive, it greatly reduces your, your chance of a touchdown or any kind of points in general. But in the red area, penalties, loss of yards, negative plays, that turns seven into three pretty fast. And we've got to make sure we keep moving the ball forward that we make positive plays, we stay ahead of the sticks, and against a team like this, you can't afford to have miscues down there. And is that where the running game comes in? You know, uh, being able to run the football when you get into that red zone opens up then a lot of other things as you get deeper into the drive? Yeah, because the space is so restricted, the coverages are a lot tougher to beat down there in the red zone. There's more DBs all over. It's easier to match, easier to hide what you're doing because the space doesn't expose where the safeties are going necessarily and where the backs are dropping to. So it gets difficult the lower you get in the red zone to throw the ball in. You always think you're closer to the goal line's got to be easier. It actually gets more difficult to read the coverages, know who's matched up, and really find the right matchup. If you can run the ball, that thins out the coverage because they have to play more people to the box and to the line of scrimmage, and that gives you a better view over top of how the safeties and corners are playing and where your matchups really are. So you want to be balanced in the right area. The run game is definitely the key way to score. I'll say this, you know, obviously we want to run the ball in all parts of the field. You look at this team right here, they get to the low right area. This is a run-first team. They're looking to run the ball in that low right area, which is inside the five-yard line, that tight right area for us. They're looking to run in, whether it's with a running back or, or Taysom Hill, they're going to look to pound that thing in. Coach, final question. Uh, obviously it's going to be pretty emotional down there. Saints playing in their building for the first time. Obviously, they played on the road in week one, or it was a home game, but they played it in Jacksonville. And then with no fans last year, how do you um, get your team ready for that that environment, especially early in the game? 
Well, I think you have to start early in the week with explaining what the environment's going to be. And this isn't a situation where you have to go down there and be intimidated because there's people yelling. But you have to understand that there is an operation of the game that you have to account for, that this noise level will be deafening. So you have to incorporate things in practice. We always incorporate some kind of noise, but you know, this week it was deafening levels of noise. You know, We just cranked up the speakers as loud as they could, put the offense right next to it, put the defense next to it in certain situations. Obviously, I don't expect to be as loud defense on the field, but we're going to make everything harder in practice than it is in the game. And we want to just make sure we force the communication. And really where we get to the players is carry over. We've got to do the talking in the meetings. We have to get on the same page in the meetings. So when you hit the field, you're not relying on having a conversation on the field. You can go ahead and know what's coming up. You can go ahead and know what you're going to check with certain types of motions or formations and play on the same page. So the best way you can simulate it is by playing the game. You know, we did a lot of things this week to go ahead and simulate best we could. Obviously, we're not in a dome. We're not in there with a packed house. But we use what we had available to us to make sure we made it tough on the players. Coach, best of luck this afternoon. I appreciate it, guys. That's Giants head coach Joe Judge. We thank him. We thank Mike Triple. We thank Tate Crowder for joining us on this ultimate preview of Giants and Saints down in the Superdome. For the guys, I am John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us on the Giants Little Podcast, which, again, you can find on the Giants Podcast Network which is at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. And the Giants Huddle podcast feed also includes the all-in NYG podcast presented by PNC Private Bank, which details the 10th anniversary of the Giants Super Bowl 46 championship. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.